Today on Movie Wallace, we talk about Antlers, Eternals, Encanto, and Roadrunner. It's time for Movie Wallers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And Yazdi as well. Movie Wallers is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or in the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Hello, hello. Hello. Greetings. And Yazdi, you've been on the back of a aeroplane, mm-hmm. and you were just telling us you binge-watched something. I did. Should I jump right in? Oh, <laughs> Might as well. Yeah, we've got plenty we've got to talk lo- about. Yeah. So we, let's integrate our pointless banter with some movie talk. Yes. So I have many streaming services, but the one I don't have is HBO Max. And so I've been hearing forever about the show White Lotus from Mike White, who's done Enlightened and all kinds of... Uh, he did the Jennifer Aniston, Jake Gyllenhaal, The Good Girl. He did, he's done lots of movies. Movie. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was able to binge. I was on a long international flight, so I was able to binge the entire series. And um, it's, so I, it's so good. good. It's so good. <laughs> and it's so, um, it's not trying to be, um, you know, creating the good guys and the bad guys. It, what I really liked about it is it holds everybody to equal contempt. <laughs> and everybody, like, you know, the haves versus the have-nots. and it, it, I hated everyone. I hated everyone. And I think it, it essentially becomes like a treatise on how everybody's eating somebody else, right? Yeah. In relationships, Ooh. you know, in, in the real world, with your boss, with somebody you meet at a hotel. It's, everything is all about where you stand in the hierarchy of life. And people are just constantly negotiating and renegotiating. So I really enjoyed it. And it's so dark and it's so funny and it's so scary and it's so horrible and it's so entertaining. Yeah. 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 And it's not entirely hopeless. I think at the end there is a bit of a hope. So we spoke about this with a couple of friends of ours and I think, I didn't think about it at the time, but the, the show does dispose of many of its characters in very... It's, I mean, it's, it's dark all the way through, but I think there's some frustration with the way that it treats some of the characters towards the end of the show. So I, I don't think that's too spoilery, but um, having heard that, that did kind of wash away my impression. I mean, I loved the show too. I mean, it was it was really, we, we literally- We literally binged we it. Chomped, chomped through it in a yeah, couple of evenings. It's so bingeable. Is, it's a which very- Which is a lot for me, because yeah. I, I, I won't do that. I, I'm like, enough- episodes for one day but we were like next next <laughs> i think i even stayed up past 10 yeah no you did. which is very unusual <laughs> I, th- I think we had an 11 o'clock start we had an 11 that, o'clock, that, yeah. that never happens that never happens and it's not that it's exceptionally quick paced it's kind of it takes no its it's a time. burn yeah it's a slow it's burn. a slow burn yeah it's so exceptionally acted and everyone is so well cast yeah and again Everyone. Now it's all coming back to me. They're so despicable. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's despicable. My favorite despicableness was the teenage girls. I thought they were pathologically evil. Oh, I wanted evil. to slap them. They were pathologically evil in the way that teenage girls can be, but the way that they, it was so sharply written that I was like, oh, they're so evil. <laughs> yeah, they are. And, you know, 
Yeah, they're they're all very complex. And you know, uh, what's her name? Something Sweeney. She plays the the daughter. You know, she was in that uh, Amazon Prime movie that I had recommended a while back called the The Warriors. Uh, I yeah, seen she's that. yeah. It's so beautifully acted, and and uh, Jennifer Coolidge is in this. Very yeah. different. Um, but I at, at different time points, I felt sorry for different people, and also at the same time kind of angry with them. I think the only character who is just all out nasty is the one played by Jake Lacey. Uh, he is the the, the, new, husband. the newly wedded husband. Yeah. Okay. And he's normally played like these really endearing, charming people and kudos to him for playing this kind of nox- Not so. noxious <laughs> yeah, individual. But no, I think it's, it's uh, I wouldn't recommend to watch it with kids necessarily. No. Because the, it's not for them. Yeah, and it's not that there's a lot of nudity or anything. It's just all, it's all very adult themes. Um, but yeah, definitely worth watching. And I'm glad that Netflix is taking chances and, um, you know, putting something like this. Quali- is it HBO? Quality. Or no, is it, no, it was no, Netflix. Not, not, it feels no, like no, an no, it HBO. Is HBO. No, it, oh, it was, was HBO. HBO. Sorry, I, okay. I, I, meant, I meant HBO, yeah. So good for them. Yeah, Mari Bartlett. Who plays yes. Armand? I mean, yes. the the owner of the you know the lead, the manager of the hotel. It does that really great thing of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. like it you know it begins with the end, and so we know the outcome, and the whole show then is about how we get to that outcome. And so, like one of the things that Rashmi and I enjoyed was debating constantly, like, okay, was it this or was it that? Did this happen or did that happen? Did it happen to them or them or them or them? So it, it it sets up that little that little puzzle for you, and you're always watching it with that with that lens. Yeah, I mean, a lot of shows have been doing that off late. Yes, that's but true. I, but I like that. I mean, it's it's no spoiler. It, the the show starts with somebody being dead and their body being taken away. Uh, you know, taken away on an airplane. Uh, so we're always guessing who amongst these people is going to die at the end of the show. So it's it's a pretty pretty nifty. But even without all those gimmicks, I think it's just so well written. Yes. Um, and like I said, you know the the uh, temptation to make somebody really sweet or somebody really nasty is not there. Everybody is so complex. Uh, Molly Shannon is in it, and for a very short role, um, it's pretty good. Yeah. So, White Lotus. Cool. So, yes, we did just jump into our streaming picks. Rashmi, what you got in your streaming picks list? Um, so, interestingly, I'm also going to go for a mini series that came out on FX um, back in 2018. And it's finally available on Netflix. And it is The Assassination of Gianni Versace, mm-hmm. which was excellent. And I Ryan think Murphy. Yeah. Ryan Murphy again. Yeah. Just. Um, Oh, this was so well produced. This was a mini series about the man who actually ended up shooting and killing Gianni Versace on his doorstep mm-hmm. and his obsession um, with Gianni Versace. And so it's um, great production, um, great acting. It's a really interesting story and I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't true, but this was a true story. Um Really good. I'm just trying to figure out how many episodes it is. Again, um, available on Netflix. Excellent. Yeah. It was uh, nine nine episodes, each about an hour long. Hmm. Excellent. Okay. And Joe. So my pick is um, something that we, Rashmi and I, 
basically just watched at random one evening. We were thinking, what do we want to watch that's not too much We were work. like, I can't find anything to watch on we Netflix. We were, but we were also a bit tired and we were like, we didn't want to get into something that was going to be extraordinarily long. So we literally picked this because it was an hour and 27 minutes. Well, it's also because we'd been binge watching Broadchurch, which we would recommend, but it's going away. And yeah, and it was a bit dark and we just wanted dark. something we easy. We wanted something so easy. We picked Bo Burnham Inside. So this is a release, um, I'm not sure when Netflix put it out, but it wasn't that long ago, but um, it's, we, we knew very little about it other than Bo Burnham is a director of a movie that we both loved, Eighth Grade. Um, he's done various other pieces of work. You may or may not know him. He's a very kind of LA stand-up comedian type, type character. But Eighth Grade, I thought, was... Um, a wonderful movie uh, in terms of its its insight and its sharpness. And so we picked Bo Burnham inside without knowing anything about it other than it was one hour and 27 minutes and hopefully not too taxing. Yeah, all, all I know about it is it is what he made during the pandemic. Right. right. So it, very quickly it becomes clear that he wrote, shot and directed this under lockdown conditions in L.A. and... It's a piece of performance art, is the way I would describe it, in that it's very much uh, comes from his mind. He is doing it on his own. He writes the songs. He, he, it's like almost like a one-man... It's, like, it's almost like one of those one-man theatre shows, but it's obviously shot and filmed and made over a length of time. But not in front of an audience. Not in obviously. front of an audience, just him with some camera equipment, um a keyboard um, and some talent. And the first 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, this feels like one of those kind of bad YouTube mm. type Experimental. Things. Yeah, experimental comedy. But, you know, again, something that somebody on YouTube would do just to kind of make a name for themselves. And then um, with a song called FaceTiming with my mom, the, the, the whole thing starts to elevate. And it reminded me in many ways of you know the journey that we all took through pandemic of at first it was kind of novel right it's like this is a weird kind of situation kind of the whole world's gone to hell and you know we're all locked in and we'll be out soon enough and then the gradual realization of the the world was changing in a permanent and somewhat ominous way not that it gets too much into that but the whole arc of it you could see his emotional and mental state evolve through the course of it so what becomes very light-hearted humor almost like this is like this great fun thing i'm locked in and i can't go out with my friends and so i'm gonna have to do this show to like ah uh, you know life is horrible you know i miss people i can't I'm, I'm, am i stuck in you know, lots of questioning so all i'm gonna say is give it 15 minutes because the first five or ten minutes it doesn't find its groove it doesn't find its humor it doesn't find its thread but once you get beyond that, there are a couple of songs that I, I just, they're so memorable, they're so funny, they're so insightful, they're so poignantly observational in a cynical but funny way about the world. The, the sock puppet moment was just, there's just so many little moments in there that are really inspired comedy. So I, I loved it. I don't know about you, Rashley. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Same thing. Initially, I was just thinking, oh, this is something you would see at um, one of those kind of festivals. Five film festivals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, even one of those like around town art festivals. Yes. Um, short act, but it, it's so smart and so clever. And again, it just solidifies what He's a genius. Yeah, yeah, what a genius 
what a genius he is. Yeah. He can do it all. He's triple threat. Yeah. And remember, he was an actor. In, Correct. Uh, um, the one we loved. Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Carrie Mulligan's movie last year. The Oscar. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. um, the single female. Not what was yeah. Called? Single uh, white. No. Promising young woman. Promising young woman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we were there almost. Yeah. 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 yeah no, it, it's very, very good. Uh, and, and a little dark. It does fizzle out a little. So I'll, I'll knock a point off for that. But. Yeah, I think it could have been done. Could have done with being maybe fifteen minutes shorter. Yeah. Okay. So again, recap the picks are White Lotus, Rashmi, the assassination of Gianni Versace, and Bo Burnham Inside. Plenty to watch. Plenty watch. Plenty to watch for us as well this time of year as the releases come out thick and fast. So it's a great time of year always, as always for movie fans. Um, it's kind of exhausting for those of us that are trying to cover as many of these movies for podcast purposes. Um, so I guess we'll jump into, we've got four movies to talk about today. Uh, Antlers, Eternals, Encanto and Roadrunner. And many of these I've been dying to speak to you both about, so I'm really like happy. Reasonable order to tackle them. Yep, yes. I'm right. really happy that we're finally um, getting to do this. All right, let's go with Antlers. Okay, and I have the intro to that. So this is um, directed by Scott Cooper. Um, yes, that's Scott Cooper who did. Um, into the Furnace, um, one of my favorite movies from a few years ago, Hostiles, um, Crazy Heart he did. Um, and this is his um, foray into horror. And this is actually produced by Guillermo del Toro, which I found interesting, but um, apparently he's really into horror as well. So mm -hmm. from the visionary, visionary world of acclaimed director Scott Cooper and horror maestro Guillermo del Toro comes Antlers. And um, in an isolated Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student, whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with a legendary ancestral creature who came before them. And this is based on a short story called The Quiet Boy um, by Nick and Tosca. Um, so the stars Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, um, Jeremy T. Thomas, Graham Greene, Scott Hayes, Rory Corcrane, and a few others. Um so Yazdi, I'm going to start with you because horror isn't your favorite genre. Um, but I was surprised that, and I was surprised you came to this one. Yeah. But, I was really um, surprised yeah, to see like, you there. Oh, wow. I, um, yeah. I think I uh, stumbled into it. I didn't know what it was about. Okay. So what <laughs> well, did you think of Antlers? I think it's the stupidest movie I've seen in quite some time. <laughs> it just, it didn't scare me one bit. It just made me frustrated because it's stupid people doing profoundly stupid things and i was just like every horror movie cliche is here um i've you know i'm i'm not ever going to be ready to write off scott cooper but he should stay away from horror if this is <laughs> this is what his output looks like i mean i think the problem was with the script uh the movie is visually very good and you know the creature the boogeyman i think is reasonably well rendered but after a while i just felt these are all prof you know these are people who are doing things that you should never do don't walk into a dark house you know don't go down the steps you know and this is the school principal who's acting stupidly well how do you expect the children to act so anyway i, I just started rolling my eyes and i never stopped okay joe <laughs> 
I, I, I can't say I hated it. Yesterday, I'm surprised it didn't scare you because I think it's not got a foreboding sense of fear in that that kind of stays with you. But um, the jump scares really worked on me. I mean, there were, there were more than a couple of times when, um, you know, I, I leapt a couple of feet out of my seat, it felt like. Um, and there, there were some very atmospheric uh, moments involving, you know, it, involving stupid people doing stupid things like walking down a mine shaft without you know adequate when there's the horror noises coming from yeah, said mine right, shaft right. like i mean there's a know. mine shaft which has been abandoned <laughs> granted it's the middle of the day and you're hearing these weird animal noises and there and are what, creepy things right. creepy little like and what know. do you do you walk in yeah. come on people oh well, there's a house <laughs> come on <laughs> you know, yeah there's a house with no power and noises coming right. from inside you know what do you so yeah it, it, i agree it, it had but th- those moments were effectively directed in the sense of um you know i i was literally screaming at the screen saying don't go up the stairs why are you going up the stairs oh no oh, no you're at the top of the stairs there's oh no the door's shut behind you i kept having those kind of horror movie moments where i genuinely i think the direction was was good i didn't understand the movie and i think ultimately it it it, it comes off as mediocre because I didn't know what the hell it was about. I couldn't understand the myths behind it. I couldn't understand what ultimately, you know, the, the, the creature. And I know that there were supposed to be some themes about nature and, you know, the world and, you know, but none of it gelled. So it was a frustrating movie in that sense, in that ultimately it felt annoyingly pointless. So, um, yeah, just mediocre. So I really find myself liking Scott Cooper and Hostiles, honestly, like I said at the beginning, was one of my favourite movies of about mm, three no, years I ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, I actually enjoyed this, but it was shy of greatness because I feel like if you look at the monster, and I, I think there's this theme of um, child abuse that kind of plays in the background through the theme of the teacher played by Kerry Russell, and her brother, Jesse Plemons, and what this monster is. And I wish there had been a bit more connection between mm-hmm. those two stories. Um, metaphorically, I could see it starting to come together, but I wish it had a, had had a little bit more editing. And I think this could have been amazing. Mm. Um, it, the horror tropes, the way it's the cinematography, the sound, everything is excellent. Um, I just wish the story had had a bit more to hang on to, but I agree with you. It felt a little confused. I have to commend the little boy mm-hmm. who was excellent. I mean, the story, I mean, and again, I like that it's it's exploring Americana, you know, poverty, um, childcare, um, abuse. There's a lot of these themes there. They just don't bubble right to the surface. And I yeah. wish it had been a little bit more obvious. This could have been so good. And there were moments of greatness in it. Yeah, I think if the script were better, I don't know if he wrote it. I'm pretty sure he did not. But um, I mean, I just got annoyed by, you know, childhood. It was. It was written by him. Him and obviously based on the book by Nick and and Tosca. But there's children decapitating dolls. There is childhood abuse. There is jump scares. There is weird creaky doors. And there is, you know... I just got tired of these horror movie tropes after a while. I, I will give you that the acting is very good. Jesse Plemons is very good. And Carrie Russell is all de-glammed and, you know, kind of playing a, a very dark, 
depressed, miserable, you know, character in the movie. So, you know, kudos to all of them. I just, I, after a while, I've, I just said, fine, you all deserve to die. If you, <laughs> if you're so, you see, that's so mean. Because they, were, they have no sense of self-protection. Right. I mean, yeah. it's like, OK, if that's what you're going to do, then you got to deal with with what happens. Um, and there were like flashing lights in the movie. I don't know. I thought you couldn't have those. I thought you couldn't have those anymore. Strobe. Uh, strobe lights. Yeah, and, it was seizure inducing at times. Yeah. And then there was like, again, I don't mean to be nitpicky. I mean, in the moment I enjoyed it, but there was like a huge continuity error in the movie. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but there is a part where they go to an ice cream shop and the kids the kid has ice cream in a cup and it's it, the cup is full of ice cream at one point and then at another point it's he's eaten it and then the next scene it, the cup is full again with the ice cream and you're sure he didn't order some more no i'm if, pretty sure if it, you it, were paying attention to that this movie did not work for you i was going to say i'm not looking at the ice cream i was like <laughs> somebody should have checked this but or they could have put CGI ice cream in that middle in that middle piece. But Script anyway. supervisor, you are fired. Yes, but anyway, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I was I I thought maybe I realized soon after the movie started that oh my god, I've signed up for a horror movie. Especially when there was decapitation of dolls by children, I was like, oh my god, what have I signed myself into? But very soon I realized that this is not scary it's just yeah no the the native american american mythology as well you know the movie begins with a quote and there's all this kind of stuff about again there's all this background stuff that never quite bubbles up to give us the explanation of what's going on and, and that could be effective in a horror movie right we don't know what's going on yeah but, but here it felt that that was important to the texture of, of the movie and somehow we 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 weren't but we weren't given that. And and when the monster emerges, I mean, goodness me, um, it's it reminded me, what was that one we just saw, Lamb? I mean, you know, there, there, are, there are more than a few similarities, not, not by intention. These movies are obviously made at similar times, but um, just more than a couple of kind of similar themes to to that but none of the none of the cleverness yeah so so let's sum this up so joe that sounded like a good summing up just score yeah dripping with atmosphere but ultimately kind of lacking in um you know plot and dissatisfying overall so yeah i i wanted more um six out of ten yes the Four out of ten. I had so oh. many, such high expectations from this, and for me, it was just—I I almost regretted going to watch it. This could have been so much greater. Um, I'm going to give it five because the moments that were good were really good, and oh, I, I really like this director, and I like the acting, and I like the production. Um, just not, just not wonderful, mm -hmm. considering what this guy's done before. I mean, I've honestly forgotten most of it. It's been, what, a few weeks since we saw it. Now. Yeah. I have, like, three things I remember about the movie. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Next up. All right. Next movie on God, the list. God, he's moving us along. <laughs> really? Yeah. He wants to get away from Antlers quick. Um, <laughs> moving on to something entirely different. <laughs> Eternals. Oh. Yes. So uh, who's going to tell us about Eternals? Okay, so Eternals is the latest uh, movie from uh, the Marvel Universe. And uh, 
Marvel has a habit of taking up and coming, you know, independent movie directors and kind of entrusting them with their, you know, big name franchises. And, um, you know, the Eternals themselves in the comic books have been a big, big thing. And so I think a lot of eyebrows were raised when um, Marvel handed the reins for making this giant CGI heavy film to no other than Chloe Zhao, just coming off her, you know, Oscar win for best writing and best directing of um, the Francis McDormand movie. Um, um, yeah, no, what, what was what did Chloe Zhao just win the Oscar for? <laughs> why, why can't we remember that? It's um, okay, but um, so it'll come, Nomadland. What's what's yeah. the matter with us? We're aging. That's <laughs> me. Those, the grey matter is it, it only reducing by the minute. <laughs> and and we all universally love that movie. We Shame did. on us. And it, you know, it only won best movie last year. So I know. Why, why should yeah. we remember it? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I think because we're so shocked by this one. Pod, podcast of yes. knowledgeable experts, not. <laughs> so. Um, the Eternals is a big, sprawling new entry into the Marvel Universe. And um, I was personally surprised because it comes on the heels of not three months since we saw the last Marvel movie, which was Shang-Chi. Oh, which was so good. Which was so wonderful. So here is the next entry. And uh, the one-liner in IMDb is that the saga of the Eternals, a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations, is what the Eternals is about. Um, the writers are Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, and Ryan Furpo. And uh, we already mentioned that uh, it's it's directed by Chloe Zhao as well. Uh, this one has quite the cast. Um, Gemma Chen is in it. Uh, Richard Madden. Uh, Angelina Jolie is here. Salma Hayek is here. Kit Harington, another uh, Game of Thrones uh, alum is here. Kumail Nanjiani is here. Brian Tyree Henry. Barry Keegan, Harish Patel, Bill Skarsgård, and many, many others. So what did you guys think of The Eternals? What an insufferable, long pile of messy poo. <laughs> this was horrible. This was two hours and 37 minutes of get me out of here. I couldn't make head <laughs> or tail of the story. I, I just found it insufferable. I think this is the worst Marvel movie we've seen yet. And it's such a disappointment given it's Chloe Zhao, given the cast, but it, the cast is so big. Everyone's fighting for time. Everyone's fighting for attention. I think in a, in the vein to be diverse in its um, superhero lineup, um, it, it's just incohesive. This is a hot steaming pile of poo. <laughs> I hated this movie. Joe. Yeah, so, um, you know, at the end of these screenings, we always have to meet with, you know, a representative from the publicity agency and whatever. And, you know, this one I desperately, desperately tried to sneak off without giving comment because, I mean, I don't feel the same way as Rashmi, but Chloe Zhao is a very particular kind of filmmaker. And I've only seen uh, The Rider. I haven't seen her first movie, uh, whatever that was. Um, the Rider was? No, no, she did something before The Rider. Um the writer is brilliant. Yeah, songs my brothers taught me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've seen the writer, which was uh, annoyingly emotionally effective, and mm -hmm. then Nomadland, which was just genius, remarkable. Um, 
but she's from the two films I have seen. She's she's a very particular kind of filmmaker, and I almost feel like she she has a very casual style of filmmaking. I almost, almost feel like she's and this may be taking completely away from her filmmaking, but I feel she's got like this very casual style of. You know, she sculpts the movie in the editing room. She has a narrative that she wants to bring out and she has the moments that she wants to capture on camera. But I don't think she's a very, you know, action three, two, one, read the script, do your lines, move on to the next scene type filmmaker. And this movie had lots of like swoopy visuals and, you know, it felt almost like the Marvel version of a Terrence Malick movie. Mm -hmm. Like it had lots of these kind of, (laughs) you know. It was. Just, it didn't work, and it didn't work with Marvel. It didn't work with these characters. The the, the script was a mess. Um, everyone was fighting for for space. So, yeah, it didn't didn't work. Just a, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so what there did you think? Give, give, yeah, because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm dying to hear what you you thought. It's like asking an Italian chef to make, you know, a burrito, <laughs> and I think you know maybe they'll do a good job. Maybe they won't. I think it's. Whoever thought that it was a good idea to have Chloe Zhao make a big, sprawling, you know, CGI, CGI heavy kind of a whole new entry into Marvel. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what they were thinking. And I don't know what Chloe Zhao was thinking when she took it on. I mean, I think. But Dustin Cretton did it with but Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi and he did it really well. I think I think the issue is that Zhao is, like you said, Joe, at, at the risk of repeating, she's such a particular filmmaker. She's very loose and she's very contemplative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there there's a lot more unsaid than there is said in most of her movies. And, you know, she loves this dusk light. You know, there's a lot of like silhouettes as the sun is going down or coming up. It's, it's a very, she is a very meditative filmmaker. And I can see how she's, almost fighting against the machinery of the Marvel yes. Universe, trying to somehow insert the Chloe Zhao-ness into this movie. But this movie has an agenda of its own. It's a whole cast of, what, 20 characters? I don't know, I lost count. And they're all Eternals, and, you know, it has to do the backstory, and it has to fill in about this story, and then tie it up with the rest of the Marvel Universe. And uh, it's just, you know, it's... It's just too much of a task. I think, you know, this movie itself should have been maybe made in three parts by three different directors. Uh, But it's so much crammed into it. Uh, And there's so much mumbo jumbo about, you know, the last 300 years of human civilization when supposedly the Eternals helped with many events. And it's meant to be clever, but it just came off so labored. Even in the first half hour, there were scenes set in Egypt and those things were really bad uh, CGI as well. It looked like, you know... I yeah, don't know. It, it looked like a bad Cleopatra set. Yeah, it looked <laughs> like a really bad plastic Cleopatra yeah, set. Yeah, and I don't know if it was trying to be like a Prometheus in terms of its philosophy and how the world started and who these gods or demigods or spirits... or It was just packed with mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, and, you know, we, we've seen the Avengers before, but, you know, before the Avengers came on, we'd had Iron Man movies and we'd had a Thor and we'd had all these different things. So I, I think the problem is you're just asking anybody to lift too heavy a load. So, I'm, you know, I, I still think maybe Chloe Zhao can make a big, sprawling CGI-heavy movie, but I think this one just gets lost in a fight between who she is as a filmmaker and what Marvel expects from it. And unfortunately, 
it's kind of something in between. It's, it doesn't have the joy of something like Shang-Chi. It doesn't have, you know, the cohesiveness of something like the Winter Soldier. It doesn't have the single-mindedness like the Black Widow movie had. So it's just... Or even the joy much. of like Ant-Man. Right. Or, 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 or the fun... And they're little funny bits, but they kind of don't work as often as they should. So... Marvel's uh, first ever sex scene. And yeah. same-sex relationship, which I, which I yeah. think, again, it, yeah. they should be applauded for that. But, but again, if you put it in a crappy movie like this, it's going to be lost. Yeah. I mean, the first sex scene is really two naked shoulders. I mean, people are making a big, <laughs> big deal about it. Like, yeah. you know. But I guess if a six-year-old is seeing it for the first time, they may be like, why are their shoulders naked, mommy? And then they can have that talk. So good for them. <laughs> but said, I, said like a non-parent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, like you, I do commend the fact that it is probably the most diverse cast we have seen in any Marvel universe. There is a... Uh, uh, a speaking impaired hero. There is a, you know, a, a, like you said, a, a, there's an African-American, there's, there's an, African -American, an Indian, there's a, yeah. yeah, there's someone from, you know, yeah. South America. I mean, it, there's an Irish guy. I mean, but, but this is the thing. It's one thing to do it if it's at the service of the story, but just to do it to check the box, which is what this felt so, like. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I mean, it feels as if there was committee interference. You know how they say oftentimes mm -hmm. the worst way to get anything done is to invoke a committee? I think she also had to probably deal with some studio interference mm -hmm. here because it is too big a franchise to just let Chloe Zhao do her Chloe Zhao thing. I mean, if she had, it would probably have had like five lines of dialogue and, and you know, some, some very, you know, pensive moments of people looking at, you know, like Nomadland isn't a dialogue heavy movie but it has this this very solid theme to it and it's it's all about the you know this one basic theme i think there was clearly a bunch of meetings that she had to attend where you have to do this you have to do that we have to ask the fans to to you know the fans are going to expect this and we want you know so i think there's definitely that it's very visible to me at least that there was some degree of studio um, input into shaping the movie that would have been at odds with the director's style. Yeah, I mean, there were parts of it that I really liked. I liked the Salma Hayek bits because, you know, she represents this kind of, you know, guardian of all the other Eternals and they kind of look up to her, but she's conflicted about who she should be versus what is asked of her. Um, I really liked uh, the Angelina Jolie piece, but she's so little in the movie. The whole thing about her kind of fighting this this thing which kind of makes her angry and kind of so but I think it's just there's one piece of cake and there's like 20 characters trying to get at it and you know after a while it doesn't matter and like you I got bored towards the end and I was like what are you guys even talking about I yeah. don't know what you're talking about yeah 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 I mean I can sum this one you're dying to, I can tell. No, eternally grateful that it was over when it was over and I never want to see this again. <laughs> two out of ten. Oh, not two. Come on. It was terrible. It's terrible. It was really bad. It wasn't bad. I wanted to slap Kamal, Kamal I Nanjiani. I wanted to slap it's Kamal so every time. awful, awful performance. He's trying so hard. He worked so hard to get buff and it's just... Wasted. Wasted. It's so tonally inconsistent. 
And I, and I hate the pairing up of characters and awful, awful. God, this is so bad. <laughs> there was a weird bit about him on an Indian film set and then he has a sidekick from the film oh set who kind God. of joins the Eternals. Yeah. Who's who thought this was funny? It was just it was just painful for me. And then they do a little Bollywood number, which it was, was horrible. So badly shot. That Bollywood number is so bad. <laughs> I was I was cringing for everybody. I was like, please right. you know, go to go to Netflix and watch any Indian movie from the last five yeah. years. You'll see much better choreography yeah. there. So and, it's just misguided. And that's what I mean. You tick the box for diversity, but then you put the wrong crap in. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I hate to say this, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know why Kumail Nanjiani is in cinemas. I, I don't really either. Don't. He's awful. He's just, what? I don't find him very funny. I don't, I don't find, find him a good him funny actor. At all. But anyway, I don't want to poop on him. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll give it a four out of 10. Um, I mean, it's, it, you know, can do better. But Two I mean, hours and 37 <laughs> minutes. I know, but I, I didn't, I was just lost. and I Barry I, Keegan doing horrible work. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even talk about Barry Keegan, but... Because there's no time. Yeah, I think, I think maybe a small <laughs> slice of Eternals would have been good to start off with, instead of just jamming a whole pizza, in, you know, down our throats. Four out of ten. Yeah, th- this is... You know how we talk about miscasting in, in in acting, where you know the wrong person plays the wrong part. Clearly, this was a directorial miscast. Chloe Zhao and her style and this script do not do not a good film make. So yeah, five five out of ten for me. A generous five out of ten too. Um, yeah, it has some good superhero stuff. I guess the action scenes are okay. So yeah, okay. Next movie then, and I'll introduce this one because I think I was supposed to introduce uh, Eternals, so I'll uh, (laughs) make up for that and introduce the movie Encanto. So this is a a release by Disney. Um, It's not a Disney pick. Disney? (laughs) Disney. (laughs) It's not a Disney. You just made a new company. I know, right, Disney. Maybe that that, that should have been what they were called, yeah. It's not a Disney Pixar effort, but it is um, a Disney movie from the minds of people uh, who made movies like Moana, Zootopia, Bolt. um, uh, So, you know, definitely some, you know, um, talent behind it. Uh, Jared Bush and Byron Howard were the directors. the movie also includes a lot of songs by Lin Manuel Miranda, so he, of very famously of Hamilton uh, fame, and what was the other one that we just saw? The in New York, uh, in the Heights, dance. in the Heights. Thank you, goodness me, thank you. I'm glad you got your you took your memory pills this morning. Um, <laughs> Only half, clearly. <laughs> um, so, the theme here is. Um, The Madrigals are an extraordinary family who live hidden in the mountains of Colombia in a charmed place called Encanto. The magic of the Encanto has blessed every child in the family with a unique gift except Mirabelle. However, she may soon be the Madrigal's last hope when she discovers that the magic surrounding the Encanto is now in danger. So, um, I guess, Yasti, you haven't seen Encanto, right? I have not. You and I have, so I guess I need to hear from you. Um... (laughs) <laughs> I like this a lot and I can't believe I'm going to say say this but it was over too quickly so this is an hour and 39 minutes and I normally complain about you know two hour something movies but this is one where I felt like 
I couldn't believe it was over when it was over. I was like, really? That's it? Um, and I don't know if that's a sign of I was having so much fun with it. I don't think so. Um, it had all the right ingredients, the stories, interesting. You know, it's about how one person's weakness can actually become a strength when you need it to. And, you know, it's not the obvious strengths that are always strengths and fitting in all those themes that I love about family. Um, it, it was rather lovely. Um, I felt like there was just one element missing. The first sex scene. Yes. <laughs> in Disney. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. A magical one. Um, I feel like it was just over too quickly and there was a little bit of story missing it. It felt like we had a great beginning and then we rushed through the middle and the end. You know, yeah, I think there are those children's movies that are made for children and adults and there are children's movies that are made for children. This this falls very much on the children's movie made for children yes, side for me. I agree. feel like... Um, and that that's not to take away from its charms. It has it has really lovely characters, very memorable characters, very um, very fun, you know, um, moments within it. There's you know some really nice songs, not particularly memorable, but um, and clearly there's a big part of Colombian and Latin culture that the movie really does. Um, you know, they, they they call each other tia, you know, auntie and mm -hmm. uncle, and they call uh, um, and uh, abuela, is it? Abuela? Yeah, the yeah, grandmother, the grandmother, and, yeah. Um, you know, so there's there's a real love for the culture from which it comes, and I don't know if this is a Colombian folk tale or you know, maybe it has nothing to do with with any kind of you know folk tale or anything like that, but um, definitely there's a love of the Latin culture. It's trying to bring that out through the music, through the, 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 the look of the movie. Um, just like you say, Rashmi, it, it's miss, missing that kind of je ne sais quoi, that, that extra level of, you know, um, I guess emotionality that we've been used to getting a dose of lately, you know, uh, movies like Luca, um, yeah. which, you know, just, just tug you, tug at the heartstrings and, and have those moments where, you know, you, you are, brought to tears. Um, I didn't have any of those moments here. There's definitely a, a an attempt to do that, you know, by, you know, a, a lost character within, you know, the the, the, the fabric of the, the, the place. Um, but yeah, just, just an average for me, um, but fun. And, you know, if we had a six-year-old in our life, I'd be like, sit down, watch this. And then I'd go off and do something because that child would be mesmerized by what they saw. It's very colorful. And it's very bright. Yeah. It's, it's almost overwhelmingly bright. Yeah. The visuals and are... And movement. Yeah. The visuals reminded me, and again, you know, I'm not trying to link together the Latin American themes, but, you know, there was, a, there was something reminiscent of Coco in terms of the mm. way that the movie felt and, and um, you know, spoke about its characters and the love within the family, you know, it's very family oriented. Yeah, so. that's a really good point. This almost felt like a poor relation of Coco. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it was. It felt reminiscent in terms of story and it also just felt like it didn't, Coco had something really magical about it. Um, the story Again. had so much emotionality and twists and turns. This didn't have any twists and turns really. Um it didn't really keep my attention for the story, I think. 
Yeah. And like I say, I mean, I think it, it did that, that thing that some movie, you know, did you ever see Moana? No, I never did. I, so I, I did. I, I watched it actually, I streamed it one night actually. Um, and was hoping to get a little bit more out of it than, than I got. It was again, just another very bouncy, lovely, colorful Disney animated epic. It was competently done with good songs and good visuals. And this is another, another one of those. So, um, yeah, nothing, nothing special about this one. I'll probably just wrap it up here. Yeah. Funnily enough, I just looked up what, what Encanto means and it means charm. Mm. Yeah. And, and, the movie definitely has lots of that. The lead character, um, I forget her name, um, Mirabelle. Um, she's delightful, um, you know, and she, you know, it, it's a, it, you, want, you want her to have that Cinderella moment where, you know, she's the one that doesn't have the magical power that everyone else seems to have. And so, you know, you, you want, you're, you're, you're rooting for her to get her gift and for her to, to, to get that moment. And so, you know, it, it does that, reasonably well but just you know other than that so i'm gonna give this um six is too low seven i'm gonna give it a seven and you know definitely one for the kids i wouldn't rush out as grown-ups to see it uh i'm a bit more harsh i think this is more like a six okay five six out of ten fair uh, enough it's reviewed reasonably well i was surprised I'll be, to I'll, see be, the... I'll go with i'll go with six you started off pretty gung-ho about it did I? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. Yeah. It was just fine. Okay. I wouldn't want to, like, if this was playing on the, like, here's the thing. I was just telling Joe the other day, whenever Bridesmaids comes on, I right. always watch it from wherever I'm right. watching something, you know. Not, uh, a, not a great comparison. Or pretty, no, I know. Or Pretty, or pretty Woman. <laughs> or pretty woman yeah. Or, or even or if Coco. Or, right. Yeah. Let's think of some animations. Um, Zootopia. Like. Toy Story. Yeah. I can't imagine ever putting this on again or wanting to watch it from the point it's on at any point. Yeah, no, I, I have no interest in seeing this again. Yeah. And that's not to say it was bad, just it, it, it's, I've seen it now. Yeah. Like it's, it's in my it was, past. It was very <laughs> average, it felt. Yeah. 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 I, no, and I'm, I'm saying it's, it's reviewed quite well. It's, it's scoring 93% on Tomatometer, so critics do seem to, to like it. And it, it's, it's a, you know, it might be one of those which is, it's, it's likable enough to say, you know, thumbs up. That doesn't mean to say they loved it. You know, it's just likable enough to kind right. of cross that threshold to be good rather than bad. So, um, okay. Final movie then of this podcast is Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Okay, so I have the intro to that. Um, so basically, this is um, this is directed by and, and produced by Morgan Neville and um, produced by Katrin Rogers as well. And this is really a documentary about you know that amazing voice that we lost a few years ago, Anthony Bourdain, who was you know chef, writer, adventurer, provocateur, um, and it really sort of pieces together, I think, um, their impression of what led to maybe the fact that he committed suicide or what could have led to that or was it inevitable or um, their experience. They've had so many years working with him. Um, I think they're trying to piece together some form of understanding of how they lost their friend and what led to this. Um, so I think it's more um, cathartic 
and for their own purposes as I sort of reflect on the movie. Um, so um, it's a lot of talking heads, people who interacted with him, many of his team who produced his shows like... Um, uh, Kitchen Confidence. Yeah, well, Kitchen Confidential was his, was book, his book, but yeah, yeah but like, um, you know, No Reservations, A Cook's Tour, all of those programs. So it's this team that kind of launched him and worked with him um, right till the end. So, And we should uh, add that it was directed by um, the same folks Morgan that did Neville, Won't yeah. You Be My Neighbour, um, The Best of Enemies, 20 Feet from Stardom. So, you know, quite an accomplished CV uh, yeah. behind the, the, yeah. the film here. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've all seen this one. Mm. Yazdi, what did you think of this? It was kind of wistful for me to watch it because it brought back a lot of memories of, uh, you know, of Anthony Bourdain, the man. And I think, uh, you know, my great big surprise, you know, I've always enjoyed his company on television. I mean, he was, it seemed to me he was a natural and it was interesting for me to watch the documentary to realize he was not a natural and that like most people, he had to kind of figure out how to seem like a natural. And, you know, the, the movie spends a lot of time with the two individuals who first came up with the idea for a cook's tour, which was, I believe, his first television program. So I think it was very, um, because I put him at a pretty high pedestal. And so for me, it was it was kind of comforting to know that he was fairly human. And I also like the fact that the documentary makes, you know, no bones about the fact that he was a very tortured individual. And he, even before he had his first glimpse of celebrity, you know, he, he had been fighting a, a battle with, uh, you know, hard drug addiction and so forth. And, you know, he's his difficulties with maintaining relationships, etc. So I think it was it was it was a really very good hour and a half spent in his company and hearing people who were close to him speak about him. Uh, the latter part, I think, it does get into the territory where people are trying to understand why he took his life when he did. I don't think anybody would will ever know except maybe those who were really very close to him. Um, my only so it was it was really very good company. Um, I have only two regrets. One is I wish there were more, um, and it's 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 my problem. But I wish they had more, you know, segments of food, you know, versus the man because it was all about the man, and I wanted to see food being prepared, or you know, how he. I, I wanted to see him actually prepare things or do things or so forth. And then I think my second, I think maybe my 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 really one big issue with the movie is I did not come away from this knowing anything I did not already know about Anthony Bourdain. I didn't get to know him. There isn't much insight about Bourdain, the person, um, uh, even though there's a lot of people who are talking about him. I didn't know, you know, about his personality, about his character, about what drove him, you know. I mean, there there, there are... Uh, People talk about the fact that he was actually pretty shy and that he did not enjoy, you know, doing a lot of the things that he did and how it got tiresome and so forth. But I wanted some more insights about Bourdain, the person. Joe. Yeah. You know, sometimes they say never meet your heroes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I've, I have... I've had a very personal reaction and loss, I think, a sense of loss with Anthony Bourdain. I didn't know him personally, but news of his um, you know, exploration uh, hit me quite hard.
because I think in many ways he's been a huge inspiration for my adult life. Like, you know, and I say that in the sense of, you know, I love to travel, you know, his shows and his things were always about travel. Um, I love to eat and his shows are always about eating and traveling. So, you know, we kind of looked almost with envy at the kind of life he was living. And then when he started the CNN Parts Unknown show, which got more, much more, much deeper into cultures, um, he had such a unique voice, such a way of getting beyond kind of the surface culture and into something deeper that as a journalist, I began to respect him even more. So um, this movie has um, tainted that in some ways because it portrays a very honest picture of a somewhat troubled individual. So unlike you, Yazdi, I felt like I did come away with a lot more insight of who he was and I found myself not liking that, which makes me admire the movie because I think they did open a door into a world that I didn't really understand. I mean, I knew he was a troubled individual. I knew he'd had a past. I haven't read any of his books, so maybe it's, it's there. Um, but it's a very competently made you know, documentary. I think it's, it, it struggles to get into... Because people don't really want to talk about his passing. And I think you know that's... Um, that's not a failing of the filmmakers. I think, you know, they just didn't, they weren't able to get deep into that mm -hmm. with the people who cared for him because those people are still troubled by this. So, you know, as a, as a film, I think it's essential viewing. I, I think um, I, I come away with um, a sense of anger, I think, about, um, I've, 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 I've always been very angry about his premature expire you know expiring i took it personally somehow um and i come away with a little less um resolution to that because the person that i thought i loved i don't like as much now that i have seen who he is but again as a film it did its job so you know i admire the film very much yeah, I think as a, as a standalone documentary about a person, it's not necessarily one of the greats um, in the sense of it's very linear and it, it starts at where he was born and how he came to be. And um, I, think, I think the error of the documentary is that it's trying to, as the filmmakers are trying to make sense of why this person who was so beloved to so many people who seemingly had a enviable life ended up killing himself. And so I think in, in trying to come to terms with that, there is some apportioning of um, a villain. Or a fault, yeah. A villain, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so I think, um, and the lead up to that. Um, so, so I think it's not enjoyable for the reason you said, Joe, that this was such a beloved person to us all who, for those of us who like to travel and eat, almost mirrored the way that we travel and eat based on his shows. And yet we street, were somehow... Our love of street food came from seeing yeah, no reservations. Or, being, or not being scared of street food um, came from his, watching those experiences. And so um, I think it's hard to separate the person from the movie as a, as a documentary, it's not a great, I think, 
Um, I think if you are a fan of Anthony Bourdain, then it's worth watching. Um, I think for those of us who are fans of Anthony Bourdain, we've already done a lot of that reading on on our own about what happened and, you know, the 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 Argia Argento and what influence she had and what a bad apple she ended up being. I mean, we've already all done that reading. So I think like Yazdi said, it doesn't really bring us anything new in terms of the story, the why. Um, And certainly it felt like all of the people they interviewed didn't really want to give anything away that would yeah. Um, ruin, yeah, yeah, ruin or tarnish our impression as fans of him. And so it, it didn't go deep enough. And maybe if they'd said a bit more or been more transparent, that would have been more helpful. But all of them seem to kind of shy away from really being honest about what they thought happened to protect, you know, to protect the innocent. Um, mm. And again, I think he came across, like you said, Joe, came across as a bit of an ass, really, Um, which I think we kind of knew, but it just highlighted it. So, I mean, it was interesting from the perspective of being a fan, um, but it's not a rush out and see for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't know that. I I mean, I don't know if if you or I were to become an Anthony Bourdain, I guess we would have days when we were an ass. So I don't know if he was truly an ass all the time or, you know, people are just talking about those few instances when he was. But, um, you know, there is a very loving relationship with his second wife. His second wife speaks a lot through the movie. And then he had a daughter with that second wife, you know, that, um, that he loved dearly. And... You know, the, the 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 documentary doesn't offer any explanation or not too deep an explanation for why he kind of drifted away from that relationship. So it, you know, it almost hurts. It kind of makes it feel like he very cavalierly did it when I doubt if it was cavalier. There was probably some other reason. So I think to what you're saying, Rashmi, I think by virtue of the fact that the information presented to us is so selected it doesn't necessarily give us the full truth and we kind of have to make our own, um, you know, it's like you're only seeing part of a picture and you kind of have to see, okay, this is what I see in this. And that probably doesn't reflect the true person. So, mm. yeah, I, I wish I wish they had brought in people who were more willing to be more candid, for sure. Uh, it, what's interesting here is that I know the two of you are kind of avid New York Times readers and I think you probably read a lot more about this Mm-hmm. than I have because I felt that this this brought to the surface a lot of stuff that I didn't know about Bourdain and and the story so that that's interesting our different responses because I, I I'm just angry that he died I'm I was very angry uh, about and oh, somewhat unsympathetic about you know the suicide and the situation around it it's like oh why you you were my hero like why did you you know so I, I think I, it's interesting how our responses are quite different because I felt like I learned a lot about Anthony Bourdain and mm-hmm. in the same way when I read the Steve Jobs book um, you know by Walter Isaacson um, again another person that, uh, about whom I had placed on a pedestal and then learned that he was not that nice a person uh, it took, took me a while to kind of grieve that I'm kind of going through that this you know the same th- same way with this movie. So I th- I think it did get beneath the surface, and I I actually found it quite compelling viewing. Okay, so so with that, I think you know just to to kind of wrap things up. I mean, I I would I enjoy his 
difficult because it, it is, you know, a kind of some, somewhat touchy, painful uh, subject in the sense of, you know, I do really miss a world where Anthony Bourdain is producing insightful shows and showing me the world. Um, so, but I, I think I'll, I'll give it an eight out of 10. I, I liked it a lot. I admired what it gave me. And I also understood that you know, some of the areas where you know, David Chang and, and others that were close to him weren't able to kind of open up yet. It's still too soon, still too mm. Yeah. Yazdi. Um, it filled in a few gaps, but for the most part, I didn't get anything new. I think it's pretty worthwhile. And I agree with you, Rashmi, that there's nothing exceptional about the structure of the documentary or how he's presented. Um, I think my one takeaway from it all was how easily it seemed to come to him. You know, his his rise was almost... Meteoric. Meteoric. There was yeah. nothing that stopped him. Once he took off, he just kept going higher and higher. And then eventually, you know, obviously he got tired of what he was doing. So, um, I mean, it's worthwhile. I think um, it's not the best documentary of this year, but... Um, Seven out of 10, very generous, seven out of 10. Yeah, solid six from me. I agree with everything you said, um, Yazdi. Um, and, and again, I think the thing that's hardest for me to comprehend is that someone who's so good at something and it affords them all the things they want in life ends up poo-pooing it. You know, I get kind of angry um, at well, that paradigm. Tortured artist. Yeah, tortured artist, you know. Someone who's got nothing to worry about, no, you know, real qualms, ends up being so depressed and taking their life is just so but tragic. It, and I think maybe that's a failing of the movie to get behind the mental health aspect. Sure. Because I think, you know... It could have been a good we platform all, we all for that. people like, you know, I mean, and um, the only person that springs to mind stupidly is Kurt Cobain, not a big fan of his, but, you know, the, this notion that somebody was so successful and so talented took their own life in... Amy Winehouse. You know, Amy Winehouse, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it... it we need to kind of understand a little bit more about the mental health issues that belie that, that what what leads us there. And the movie didn't really get into that at all. Yeah. Yeah. All Very right. Good. I think that endeth the podcast. So um, thank you everyone for listening. An hour of movie wallas. Hopefully you, hopefully you. Um, Four movies. Yeah. Four movies and three, three recommendations. recommendations. Yes. So yeah. Uh, value for money. Movie well as if nothing else is incredible <laughs> value for money. Of course you don't pay for movie well as, but that, hence the value, hence the value. That's not to say it would be value less if we charged, but anyway, thank you for listening. We appreciate it until our next podcast. Too many movies, too little time. A goodbye from me and me and me as well. There's more to come.